Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by CoventryCreations.com.
believe it's magic. And we're live on the air right now. It is currently 4.04 in the afternoon on the East Coast, which means it's 1.04 in the afternoon on the West Coast and every single hour in between. I'm Storm Sestavani, and of course I'm here with the lovely and talented, gifted, glamorous, perfect Jackie Smith. You can reach Jackie off the air, of course, by going to www.coventrycreations.com. I was about to send them to keepitmagic.com. Um, www.coventrycreations.com, which is also the sponsor of our show. Uh, if you have a problem in your life, whether that, that is uh, money, love, romance, spiritual cleansing, you need to do a little bit of reversal magic. Today we'll be talking about poison magic, which is going to be pretty interesting. Um, move on over to CoventryCreations.com. And on the left side of the page, of course, that there's a little link that says candles. Click on that. We have everything that you could possibly need, need for all of your magical needs. So make sure that you cruise on over there. Um, also, Mercury is still retrograde, so make sure that you continue to pick up your um, Van Van candles over at CoventryCreations.com. A lot of people are... Uh, complaining about this Mercury retrograde, unlike any uh, Mercury retrograde I've ever seen, but it may possibly be because Mars is retrograde. And let me warn you all, in April, Venus goes retrograde also. So we're going to have a lot of retrogradation. I'm I'm tired of this. It's like it's your fault. Stop it. Why is that my fault? (laughs) Because you're the astrologer. All right, keep keep going with our intro. Our show website is keepitmagic.com, and, of course, you can fan us up on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com forward slash keepinitmagic, and you can follow us on Twitter at keepitmagic as well. I believe that my website is psychicfriendsnow.com. I'm so confused today. I don't know for sure, but <laughs> I go over there and check that out as well. Um, so, Jackie, you're freaked out by all these retrogrades? I'm not freaked out. I'm just tired. Why? It's exhausting. All of this energy to, to like swimming upstream. It's like riding your bike into the cold, cold wind. It's I hard to catch a breath. <laughs> I don't think that that's the retrogradation um, energy. Um, I was reading some stuff uh, the other day that that's probably the solar flares energy. That's really? Everybody exhausted. Yeah. Really? So I thought the solar flares were just the one day I was flying. Um, I think that the solar flares have been going on for like two weeks. And how do solar flares make us tired? Because they're a lot of energy. But wouldn't they make us more energized? No. Are you saying that they suck our energy out? Yeah. Is it kind of like a fire break, you know, when when there's a forest fire and they put up a fire break, so fire meets fire and so then it goes out? Um, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> We can't do that, you know. Basically, what they in essence do during a forest fire is just burn down the whole forest, and then nothing can burn anymore. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I feel like a Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana moment. Yeah, exactly. Never mind. So Venus will Although, go retrograde next month. Uh huh. It's in shadow now. So what does that mean? Um, Venus has to do with relationships. So. Uh, Relationships are going to get a little bit hairy for about six weeks. And it is a time in which um, all retrogrades, of course, you know, kind of go inward and they can express themselves um, pretty much in extremes. So 
either the relationship will be really, really good or it will be really, really bad, one or the other. Um, okay, so so you're not saying retrograde is just hell on earth. You're saying that, that what retrograde does is promote extremes. Yes. You okay. see the extremes. Now, with Mercury retrograde, it seems that because it's so annoying um, that everybody notices the communication problems and their lost luggage and, you know, the fact that their Cadillac broke down or um, their microwave blew up. Um, I-, I was having problems yesterday with my Keurig, and I swear I was ready to throw it out a window. Oh, you might have to get out the Mr. Coffee and make a real pot. Oh, my God, No. <laughs> I have a bun, by the way. It only takes three minutes. <laughs> so if you have a bun, why do you have a Keurig? Um, because a Keurig takes one. <laughs> <laughs> and they on, have really? these wonderful K-Cups where you can get, like, Starbucks coffee. And... Let's do some pour-overs. Pour-overs, yeah. are, pour-overs are cheaper. What are pour-overs? A pour-over is like a one-cup automatic drip, but it's just you've got um, this. It's either ceramic or, or plastic, and it sits on top of your coffee cup, and you put some coffee in there. And it looks like a it's that cone shaped filter. And you pour the water in there and it seeps through and you got a cup of coffee. A pour over sounds like a used porn magazine. That's sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Why do you have to go there? You have you always have you beat me to it really. <laughs> um, but tell me about the shadow side of Venus. The shadow side Venus is ruthless. Um, uh, she tends to uh, create relationships even when it is a big, huge, gigantic mess when she creates them. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a, a lot of people, of course, think of her. We did, you know, a whole month on Venus, you know, that they tend to think of her in this very, you know, laying on a lawn chair with bonbons. Um, but she was also a battle goddess, and she liked to drink blood. Oh. So w- meaning that we're in the shadow of Venus retrograde means you don't need any new friends. Not only that, but it is time to really start going inward and looking at relationships. And um, a lot of times during a Venus retrograde, old relationships will come back. Um, uh, because retrograde, you can also take any word that starts with an R-E, like um, return, rewind, remember. Um, uh, and, it, you know, with Venus, of course, you know, we re- become nostalgic in regards to our bad relationships. <laughs> oh, yeah, a little romanticizing of it. Although, yeah, I don't need any past relationships. Back. The best song, I think, ever that was created for Venus Retrograde was Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Okay. <laughs> you know, and at the, at the end she's laying in the bed, of course, with a torched uh, dude, and, uh, you, you know, the whole room's on fire and ashes. Well, actually, it's not on fire anymore. It's burnt but, to the ground. So... When we come out of Mars retrograde and Mercury retrograde, are we still in the shadow of it? Yes. Okay. So we're going to be in the shadow of Mercury, Mars, and Venus at the same time. Yes. So um, get your Van Van candle. Hide under the covers, but not with a lit candle. But um, <laughs> but really just weigh your words. Yeah. Really weigh your words and actions and, and try not to be impulsive. But with what you said with all the shadows... Just before we um, started the show, I was flipping through um, Christopher Penzik's book, The Gates of Witchcraft, so I'm flipping through it one more time and and prep for the show. Uh And I came across a quote, which is perfect for this, and we did not rehearse this. Um, So this is is serendipity. And he talks about the shadow of trance. Um, Uh In magic, a shadow is not necessarily bad. In fact, shadow magic is quite good. 
is a process of healing and transformation. Shadows are places where we rarely go. Shadows hide what we ignore and repress. They're unknown and offer both hidden treasure and danger because we can more easily slip and fall on our path if we cannot metaphorically see where we are going. Yet many beautiful powers and insights grow in the dark if we are daring to explore. I think that that, is, that, that precisely describes what happens when planets, mm-hmm. um, before they go retrograde and right after the retrogradation. Um, I think that if you work with these planets in an inward sort of way, uh, uh, and you attempt to understand and create a relationship with them on some level, mm-hmm. uh, I think that it is much more, uh, it, it's easier to work with a particular energy because um, another RE word that I think is very important for uh, uh, retrogradation is reflection. Yeah. Uh, and it is a time, you know, in which we, we are uh, cosmically, we're put into positions in which there's certain areas of life, especially with the inner planets, because Mercury rules communication, um, Venus rules love, and Mars rules our ability to go out into the world and get what we want, in which I think cyclically um, uh, we need to kind of check in on those every so often. Mercury quite frequently because it happens three times a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Venus um, only happens um, once every uh, two years. Um, and Mars, of course, happens once every two years as well. So, so we're in. It's either awesome or it completely sucks. Um, it, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, you know, with Venus retrograde, a lot of people have difficulties with it because mm-hmm. their relationships go crazy. Um, uh, and rather than sit down and stage, you know, we don't live in a culture, Jackie, that says, okay, if your relationship is go crazy, going crazy, you should sit down and think about this. True, true. It's an, an immediate fix. Um, or get rid of them. Well, with that, I don't want to um, uh, make Christopher wait too much longer. Sure. And if you don't know who's on our show today, we have, I think, the um, the most genius person in all of um, Pagandom um, is Christopher Penzik. I think he's arguably the most influential writer and presenter um, of this century and of the past couple of decades. I mean, so... Yeah. With, without further ado, shall we bring on Christopher? Sure. Christopher, welcome to Keep It Magic. Well, thank you so much. With an intro like that, where can we go wrong? <laughs> right. I know. And I, the, you know, and of course I've had to do a little more research with you coming on the show. Um, and I have to say that I'm like completely blown away. And it. Well, and you. as soon as, as soon as I booked you on the show, as soon as we said, hey, let's have Christopher Penzik on. I don't know but if you noticed, but our worlds kept crossing paths. I know. We've got lots of mutual friends and clients and things going on, yeah. Yep. Um, and and so what I discovered is that we actually work in very similar ways. We may use a different language, but the end result, the work, the underground work, the woo-woo work we do <laughs> <laughs> is very similar, and I haven't heard of other healers or other practitioners who do some of the same things I do. So that was that was quite unique, I have to tell you. That's very cool. I'm glad to hear that. I think there's a certain current going on in consciousness, and you know we're all tuning into it in a different way. Yes. There's things that absolutely want to be heard and and we're ready for. Yeah, I agree. Our, our little spiritual evolution. So how many books have you written so far? 
You know, I'm sort of losing count. Um, I think out right now, I want to say Gates of Witchcraft was the 20th. Somewhere oh around there. Oh, my God. And how old more are you, 26? I am you sweet. I feel like I shouldn't say it now. <laughs> I am 38. <laughs> okay, thank God, because I thought you were only like... 30. Oh, yeah. We, we were having a discussion about that. <laughs> I, I am past my, my next Jupiter return, so I'm doing good. Yeah, and and really this is none of your books are you phoning it in. All of your books have have a have a profound impact and and um I don't did I tell you this story? Um but I have had three different people hand me sets of your books and saying I've decided I'm not a pagan anymore or I'm not interested in this stuff or they've gone a completely opposite path. One became a born-again, one um, went into Santeria, and one became an atheist. So, um, But three sets of your books, have, of the um, temple books, have come my way. And before I could ever really dig into them, other people have come into my life that I say, oh, you need these books. Wow. So, <laughs> nice little synchronicity there. It, it absolutely is, and um, what happens a lot is I've been doing this for like 20 years, so about a dozen times I've had people drop their libraries off to me because they, they scared themselves or something. Right. And uh, and so that happens every now and again. But um, So I've, I've been able to start to read them but then know that, that they have to, to move on somewhere else. But since you and I have started really talking and then I'm talking to more of your students, um, I've just been digging in further and further, and you go, you take us in places in all of your books that no other author is brave enough to do. Well, thank you, thank you. I try. I figure if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be bored, you know, why bother writing it? So I'm, I'm trying to write things that I'd be interested in, and hopefully other people will be too. Perfect, because if you can't entertain yourself with your own books, you're out of luck. You know, in a lot of ways, kind of quoting our, our mutual friend Dorothy, I write a lot of books to have all the information in one place that I need. And I figure if, you know, I need it, then it will help other people. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And we love Dorothy on Keep It We Magic. love Dorothy, yes. I'm very excited. And Actually, we hired Dorothy for our festival this summer, so I'm very excited to see her soon. And it was hilarious because we were both vying for her for the same weekend. Yeah. <laughs> thank you Thank you for letting me win. <laughs> you can have you actually are having way more fun than me, but... Um, I I, uh, I looked at my schedule going, oh, is there any way I could? No. No. I can't do both. <laughs> so when did you get, get started writing? You're 38 and you have 20 books. So when did you actually start start writing? I mean, you have your path that you were on, and then um, how did this come about? It was only a few years after college, honestly, I started writing. Um, my degree is in music, and I ended up going into I wanted to be you know, a rock star. And uh, I ended up going into the music industry when my band fell apart. So I was doing uh, A&R production, that type of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I lost that job. And it was interesting because, you know, the whole time I was running a full moon group and some friends who wanted to, you know, meditate and do ceremony and simple candle magic and things like that. And um, I kept getting these messages from the, the vision of the goddess I work with, um, an Irish war goddess named Maka. And she kept on saying, you need to teach more, you need to teach more. And and. You know, I kept on blowing it off or thinking I'm not a teacher, this is not really for me, you know. Um, I had really no no desire to be a teacher, an expert in any of this. I was just helping out some friends and you know, having fun once a month. And when I finally agreed, three days later I lost my job. 
and economy was good, couldn't couldn't really, you know, get a job anywhere. The the kind of capper to it all was I had eight different temp jobs over the course of maybe four weeks, and none of them lasted more than three or four days. Uh, but the very last place burned down to the ground. So I was like, all right, well, I think I'm going to stop doing temp jobs. And, you know, I started writing a couple books, or book idea things out and, and uh, articles and, you know, really just trying to get my feet wet in something else and thought, okay, I guess I'm going to be teaching more. So I started working on the book and I started uh, putting up flyers for classes. And soon after that, I got asked by a local store to do a ritual in some classes and things just kind of took off. And uh, two years after that, I had my first book out with Weiser. Okay, so Weiser was your first publisher. Yeah, yeah Weiser was my first publisher. I had, I had kind of weirdness with my very first book was City Magic, or at least that was the first book to get published. Um, I actually wrote okay. a book before that that never got published, but I got a lovely rejection letter from Weiser that encouraged me to keep writing. So, um, and was, I don't know if you knew, being in Weiser, uh, Betty Lundstedt, she was the VP ages ago, and, and she used to write under a phony name, I found out later. And the phony name, she had one phony name when she wanted to get rid of you, and one phony name when she wanted to encourage you. So if you inquired looking for that person, that was like code. So uh, so her good name, she she uh, wrote to me, which I thought was hilarious. And um, it was very encouraging, so I wrote a second book that was City Magic. And I had weirdness where uh, Llewellyn and Weiser and New Falcon and a couple others were, were all interested in it once, but... Um, wasn't really clear what they were offering, and finally, Wiser laid something really clear down on the table, and I went with them. Yep, they they are a very. I do like the books that Wiser publishes. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. I mean, some of them are the classics that you know we all all learned yeah. from. Yep, and um, and then you just kept going from there. This that was a giant leap of faith, and I I know about that leap of leap of faith. I took that myself because I couldn't get a job either um, when I started Coventry. <laughs> I yeah, it's scary. It is, it is. And so I just kept making candles and doing readings, and and I never thought that would become what it is. And now, look at you, you're a rock star in the um, pagan world. You totally are. <laughs> I used to are. joke that, you know, I was making flyers and booking gigs and traveling around the country when I was a musician, and now I'm, you know, booking flyers and making gigs and traveling around the country. <laughs> yeah, and and um, you have, your your impact on the world is, is pretty big. It, it is it is quite profound, and um, that must humble you at times. It, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it, it, it's weird to look across and just you know the stuff that I've written and the places I've traveled and the teachings and everything. It's 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 pretty amazing. I'm very proud to be part of it, and you know it's also very humbling to realize a lot of this is not has anything to do with me. It's really kind of coming through me and the work of the spirits and the gods, and you know you just provide the opportunity for it to reach the physical world. And since I've had the opportunity to meet you and and have Chinese food, um, <laughs> a little hotel and, party, <laughs> yeah, with Mr. and Dorothy, ten minutes. <laughs> um, so you are a really, really down to earth person, and and that's if anyone has the opportunity to meet Christopher, or listen to him speak or teach, you just you you're just right there with us. Um, you don't put on airs and you don't try and be lofty. You're just right here with us. And and your um, your Inner Temple series has become an online apprenticeship, correct? Yes. It, or, it actually started out independently you know, of me. People were doing study groups, and then they started asking lots of questions and wanted to know how they could wow. kind of take classes with me distantly. And then we eventually started up a nonprofit for the Temple of Witchcraft to kind of give people more support and opportunities to serve um, in our community. And that kind of grew from New Hampshire into more of a national and even sort of now international because we've got online students from 
the Philippines and from Scandinavia and from uh, South America and Australia. So it's it's kind of branched out, and it's actually been great to have it as a part of the temple because there's only so much I can do as an individual person. So now we have a mentorship program, and older students help mentor younger students so they get experience in teaching and you know, even setting up like a little Harry Potter school. I've got a dean of students who helps me out and, and kind of administrates <laughs> a lot of it and deals with people and the, the personal interactions because, you know, what would witchcraft be without, you know, personal difficulties and interactions? <laughs> so right. It's not just me fielding well, it all. It's it's the whole community, and it's it's been quite wonderful. It's fascinating because my next question was going to be how are you able to create this and create this curriculum, but it sounds like the curriculum is the books. Yep. and. And um, you just you just help people through the experience. Yeah, it's it's kind of grown from that. I mean, really, the books started out as class notes, and then they became books. And the last class before it got published got the whole book as a class note and gave me feedback for it before it went into print. And then mm-hmm. um, after having them in print for a few years and using those as the class books, we're now um, recording the lectures. So people who take the classes, they get an MP3 file of each lesson so they can hear what the class went through and do the meditations along with us. And there's also professionally recorded CD meditations that go along with the books that people can buy. Um, and then we we're starting to do like a book of shadows because the books I really tried to make it be um, – non-specific to a tradition. You know, if you're a Gardnerian or Alexandrian, you can pick it up and get something out of the exercises. Or if you're, you know, eclectic and following your own path, it's not specific to a culture. It's not all Celtic or it's not all Greek. Um, But there's certain things that have come up in our community after doing public rituals for the last 15 years and practicing with my coven and, and my students out here that has kind of grown its own mythology and grown its own character and its own flavor. So um, you get Book of Shadows for each lesson, and it's kind of like a, a little section of our Book of Shadows and a lot of my own personal notes and experiences. And um, that kind of gives a flavor for how I practice and how people who are, are studying directly with me practice. So you have the book that kind of gives you a general experience and general knowledge, and then you've got like a little Book of Shadows that, for each lesson that gives you you know more particulars and more flavor to it. And so when people are done the, the course, they get you know a Book of Shadows that kind of parallels what's inside the book. That's and, and I love that you. This is your experience. All of your books, as as I've noticed, and and through our conversations, is that there are your experience. They're what you use in your own journey. There's a lot of authors that I've read that you can tell this was a nicely researched book. Right. <laughs> um, yes, we've all read those. <laughs> right. This is a very nicely researched book, and and um, but yours are really your experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm telling people to do it, so I feel like if I haven't done it a lot of times and taken people through it safely, then I shouldn't probably mm-hmm. tell you how to do it. <laughs> you know, right. research and development and making sure, you know, it might work <laughs> one way for me, but at the same time, like getting feedback from other people of how it worked for them. So I can include that, too, because the reader doesn't always have you right there to ask questions. Although these days with Facebook, it seems like they do. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and and really, but you do you do your research. I mean, you um, have something that you're working with, and then you bring us all the pieces and parts of it to under. I mean, even when you're talking about meditation in um, in the gates of witchcraft, you you have your the um, what did you reference? It was right here. It was the um, the sleep. The the hot, with a, beta alpha theta delta sleep brain waves and and right. and and they're the whole thing and it was just like wow so you don't uh, you don't leave us hanging yeah I, <laughs> I think it's really good to mix the um, kind of traditional information with scientific information and really dig good roots and then on top mm-hmm. of that talk about your experience and your own 
creativity and artistry with it. But I think you have to have kind of solid roots about where something's been before you take it someplace. Exactly, because you want to know. I'm I'm the person who wants to know where this came from. Right. And me too. why does this work? I take things on faith initially, and then after it works, I go, okay, now how how do I do it? Again? Why do I yeah. do this? Yeah, I'm I'm a big guy into metaphysics and theory and also history, you know, how did this develop over time? Um, but it's good to give people that experience of, like, this does work, so how do you experience it directly? But once I experience it directly, I want to know, like, well, where did this come from and who thought of it first? And, you know, why do we call mm-hmm. it that? And all those fun questions. Yeah. Now, how many students do you have in the um, in the Temple of Witchcraft? Um, in all five levels currently, um, online and in person that are under me, I'd probably say somewhere over 300. Over 300, but under 400. <laughs> um, you know, wow, it's very, very fluid for, you know, some people we lose for a couple months and they come back, and so it's hard to get a, a direct line. But uh, those are all mine, and then we have a couple other teachers in the Temple of Witchcraft, and so I'd say probably maybe another 30 or 40 in the whole temple beyond the online classes. Is that can that be found in your um, Christopher Penzik website, or is there another? Um, the, all the temple stuff. I try to keep my professional life uh, separate from the nonprofit to a certain extent, unless I'm doing a specific okay. event. So um, it's templeofwitchcraft.org is for the temple nonprofit, and ChristopherPenzak.com is more for my personal writings and my personal teachings. Okay. So just to kind of keep take... it safe for the IRS. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good separation of church and state there. Right. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back. Um, and Storm's going to bring us in, into break, but when we come back, we're going to dig into more of your Gates of Witchcraft book and, and ask you some important questions there. So, Definitely. Also, if anybody wants to call in, we're going to be taking calls if we have time a little bit later in the show. The number is 760-539-3235. Again, that number is 760-539-3235. Make sure that you visit our sponsor at CoventryCreations.com. And do not touch that dial. We'll be back in a flash. And here's... A little bit of pink. Have you ever fed a lover with just your hands? Closed your eyes and trusted, just trusted. Fistful of glitter in the air Have you ever looked fear in the face And said, I just don't care It's only half past the point of no return The tip of the iceberg The sun before the burn The thunder before the lightning And the breath before the grace have you ever felt this way? Have you ever hated yourself for staring at the phone? Your whole life waiting on the ring to prove you're not alone. Have you ever been 
um, but they're about either how to cast spells and raise the, the energy for the spells or to really, in casting spells, to get into a different state of consciousness so you can perceive that power. Um, so I had a teacher who taught it to me, and she kind of modified it a little bit, and over the years I've kind of modified it a little bit. So when we, we look through these paths, um, each one is a different technique for really opening up the, the gates of consciousness and to really be able to find a, a different way to perceive the world and, and enter into trance. They can kind of be divided into two categories in, in general, what I would call inhibitory techniques and exhibitory techniques. One really kind of lowers your body and your brain waves and just the way that you um, feel, and it, it's very suppressive and relaxive. You know, when you meditate, mm -hmm. that would be more inhibitory. And then others are more exhibitory. There are things that excite the body, like um, ritual dancing or drumming or anything that involves a lot of repetitive sound. Strangely enough, they both lower your brain waves, but the method in which they lower your brain waves is different. So, um, so that's, that's kind of the, the basic division. And so from the, the kind of traditional view of things, I look at meditation as a, a particular path, um, breath work, sound and music, dance and movement, sacred space in terms of um, land and particular places that you can be, and that's one of the ones I added to it. Because sometimes you can just go to a spot and you're not particularly doing anything ritualistically, but just the zone of where you're at changes your consciousness. I, right. I spent a lot of time in England last year, and, and just there's certain sacred sites that you know, you're just there. Even you know, They might not even be noticeable, like Stonehenge, that they're, they're physical landmarks, but you just go to a field, you go to a hill, and boom, your consciousness changes. Um, right. Also, sex. You know, the idea of sexual energy and sexual excitement changes our consciousness and kind of on the flip side of that pain, um, whether it be ritual tattooing, marking, or, you know, the traditional gardenerian flogging with a scourge. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> sacred times, you know, particular places where you put particular times, the full moon, equinoxes, solstices, but also in nature, um, first frost, first rain, first leaves falling, they can all be special times. Um, vestments the idea of wearing particular items that alter your consciousness. Um, dreams, the idea of going into sleep definitely alters your consciousness and can you train yourself to, to be really awake. Um, and then the, the one that I think would be most interesting for us to talk about today is what I call the path of poison, or what's often called in, in traditional craft work, the path of poison. And it's not always poison, although it does include poisons, but it's the idea that it's a path of intoxication. So we even think of that word intoxication, to be intoxed. The idea that something is poisonous that alters our consciousness from kind of our, our normal level of awareness. So that could be wine, you know, any type of intoxicant that's alcohol. It can be incenses and oils, but it can also be taking um, various forms of poisonous herbs and hopefully safe ways. But when we look at the whole mm -hmm. repertoire of the, the medieval witch, all the things that go in the flying ointment of the witch are all these kind of sinister, poisonous, underworld, dark goddess herbs like mandrake and belladonna and my favorite's Detora. It's the one I probably write the most about in the book. Um, based on personal experience, it's the one I have the most experience on. So it's it's something <laughs> to also be cautious about. You know, it's it's not I, I was very hesitant to actually write about it in the book and, you know, I'm still awaiting the backlash of it, but um, everything I've talked about, I think I put in, you know, very clear warnings and talk about what I use and, and really about the safety and the risks of it. But so few people actually talk about it. You know, most Wiccan authors will say, and there's these herbs, never use them. You know, but if our ancestors used them, or it, it doesn't hurt us to at least talk about them and, and talk about some right. safe ways of using them. You know, in what? the very end, if you can't use them physically, you know, using them as flower essences, using them as homeopathy helps you connect to the spirit of the herb. 
Now, what what do you what are you assuming some of the backlash would be? Because of course I have my own my own questions about that. But what did you think some of the backlash would be about? Well, I think you know it's, it's so taboo to really talk about it. You know, I think uh, for people who expect everything in magic to be nice and safe and palatable and um, accepted by all and something that is for all. You know, very clearly in, in almost all of these trance techniques, each chapter is a different technique. And um, with the exception of meditation and breath work, I think there's always warnings. And even those have warnings too, but um, mm-hmm. those are relatively safe. All the other techniques say, you know, if you have this, this, or this going on, don't do it. You know, if you're not in good health, don't do it. If you're not in good mental health and, and chemical balance, you know, brain-wise, don't do it because they can all kind of harm you. Um, and even if you're not in good physical condition to take some of the intoxicants, even, you know, drinking to the point of getting into trance, it can take, you know, a glass of wine and an empty stomach. But if you're not, you know, in a, a good space health-wise, that can have dangers too. So it's right. it's just that, well, that controversy of talking about the poisons and actually saying, hey, these are the things I've taken. I'll talk to friends who will tell me they've taken it, but very rarely do you see it written down. I think that, that there's a fear of um, coming across as an advocate Oh, right. And if you come across as an advocate, will you now they will you now be blamed if right. somebody is irresponsible? I think responsibility still lies within the practitioner. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and that's something I really tried to stress in the book. And and we're taught, um, and and our as it, Dorothy calls it, our baby witch days, um, to to not partake in anything, right. to be as pure as possible to um, be as unfettered as possible on all this and that, even drinking before ritual or um, it puts you at too much risk. I know um, you had talked about um, hemp opens the inner eye, and I remember one of my first teachers talking about do not smoke Mary Jane before doing ritual because it throws holes in your aura. And, um, and you know, because it, there's all this fear around that, that you don't want to that there's a control that needs to be maintained? Maybe that's why? Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, I think teachers fear about the excess, and I think so much of magic in a, a storybook kind of form is presented as harmless. You know, there's there's a, a teacher in the Chicago area that, that used to teach, um, and a quote that I, I like to just borrow is that, you know, magic is completely, if you think magic is completely safe, if someone tells you that, they're lying to you, because magic has changed. And I think if you look at all these different things, it's, you know, there's control and there's moderation, but it's not absolute control. Part of ecstasy is going beyond your normal perceptions. Part of ecstasy is going beyond the flesh. Um, but it's doing such under safe circumstances. But safe circumstances doesn't mean you're always in control. I mean, we're not always in control of our life. What makes us think we're always in control of our magic? There's always risk. But, you know, it's taking that measured risk. There's risk walking across the street. You could be hit by a truck, but, you know, it doesn't mean you're not going to walk across the street. You're going to just look both ways. So if you're going to use these things, what's the equivalent of looking both ways? I, I that's That quote in the book is one of the ones I highlighted. You, By the way, you've, like, blown a lot of my questions out of the water. Cause you <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> sure, it's up, Storm. Um, Christopher, don't you think that sanitization of a lot of the old... Uh, uh, rituals is actually more of a Christianization of paganism that doesn't want to look at anything, uh, you know, that wants to divide things in a good and bad sort of way. Um, it just really seems very Christian-minded to me. And, of course, you know, uh, all of us in the West have, you know, Judeo-Christian heritage pumping through our veins pretty much, um, unfortunately. But I'm, I, it just sounds very Christian. I think a part of it is to, at the very least, fit in with, like, mainstream religions. 
I think um, so much that people would consider to be unacceptable or suspect in paganism and in witchcraft. You know, we want to present the face to the world right now of, of, well, you know, we might have used to done that, but we don't do that anymore. You know, we're very acceptable. We're just like you. You know, but if we were just like you, I don't think we'd be witches, you know, in the sense of speaking to mainstream Christian friends. I, I think in a, an effort to be so accepted by mainstream society, you know, it's, it's when people say, well, a spell is just like a prayer. I, I think that's a good maybe first few second explanation of things, but if somebody really wants to do a spell, then it's not exactly like a prayer. So it's good to, to be able to talk to people beyond just that definition. If someone doesn't want to have a conversation, they'll say, yeah, a spell's like a prayer, but um, if somebody actually right. wants to do it, you know, you want to get into the nitty-gritty of, of it's a little bit more willful, it's a little bit more energetic, it's a little bit more intentful. Right. You don't have to come kind of from a place of, of unworthiness and you're asking for something that you don't deserve. You know, from from a pagan perspective, we deserve whatever we want. It's just do we have the will to make it happen? And I think a lot of that happens with these, you know, the ideas around sex and drugs and pain and, you know, all these things that would be controversial to a mainstream society. Our pagan view is very different from that. We We homogenize a lot. To, for the first influx of information, right? We distill it. We distill all the potential impurities out, so then it's a little more acceptable. I have a quick question: If you could answer for the folks that may not know what datura is, can you explain sure. what that is? Sure. Datura is um, in a family of plants that also includes a, a lot of powerful things: mandrake and henbane and tobacco and even tomatoes and eggplant. Um, but datura, it's also known as jimson weed. Sometimes it's called devil's trumpet or devil's thimbles or witch's thimbles. Um, another popular name that more people would know it by is thorn apple. There's a, an eastern variety of it that uh, those in America will be probably familiar with. It's the, the jimson weed that um, the Jamestown associations of the ate the greenery, thinking it was like a, a leafy vegetable like a, a cabbage or a spinach. Um, and all supposedly went crazy for days, although that's even an exaggeration, too, because chemically it comes out of your system, you know, in 24 hours. So the fact that people went stark raving mad for days and days and days, it's probably not quite true. Um, there's also a southwestern version. There's quite a few different versions, but the two most popular that I have experience with is the eastern version and a southwestern version. Um, and that's the one that's talked most often about in Carlos Castaneda's work, if you read the, the teachings of Don Juan. Um, he has a big section on both psilocybin mushrooms and peyote and datura. And even that, has, he has a, a very, not negative view of datura, but it's very much the witch's herb. It's very seductive. It's about power. Um, but a lot of people, his teacher said, you know, I go for what he called the little smoke, which was the, the smoking the psilocybin mushrooms rather than the the um, datura. But it, and it does, they, these plants that are very witchy from the European witchcraft traditions, there's European varieties, there's uh, varieties that grow in India, there's varieties that grow in South America, uh, they have a seductive quality. They have. It was interesting. You were talking about Venus retrograde before. A lot of these things are co-ruled in planetary magic by both Venus and Saturn, and it's that darker aspect of Venus, that blood-drinking kind of Venus you mentioned before. But you know, she can be blessing in her gifts, but she can also be very difficult to work with and temperamental. So it's about how do you have a relationship with these plants. I think that's key. Now, that's um, you have you talk about the psychedelic and ethnogenic spiritual journeys mm -hmm. and and with the datura and the psilocybin mushrooms and um what is the difference between those two very intense words and their spiritual journeys <laughs> you know it's it's very um there's like a spectrum you know rather than think of it as categories and, and in the spectrum of, of the substances um people put different labels over the time based on on what they were comfortable with or what it meant so originally when we start exploring these substances in the modern era, people called them hallucinogenics, thinking that they created something that wasn't there as a hallucination. 
and people who had very profound experiences about that said, well, they're not really not there. I was talking to something. Something was there. So the word psychedelic became really the popular word. It was the idea that a psychedelic opened you to your psyche. In a modern sense, we say the psyche is the mind. In a kind of esoteric Greek sense, the psyche is part of the soul. And I like that definition better. I think these substances open you up or open part of your soul to perceive things. Then entheogen became the kind of more popular, well, never really caught on as a popular term, but amongst users it becomes the more popular term because it means um, awakening to the God within. And people argue, is it the God within you as a person or is it the God within the plants? But I think both definitions are really appropriate. So it really shows the divine aspect of it. Some of these substances take you on journeys and they make you feel like you've gone to a different dimension, a different place. Others just kind of awaken you to a layer of reality that's underneath you know, what we can all perceive and it shows the spirits and divinities that are all around us. Um, so I look at it as a spectrum. One of, one of the ways my teachers looked at this was um, plants in general, whether they be entheogenic or not, can either bring life force in, particularly five-petaled plants, um, or send life force out. So, you know, one end of the spectrum, you've got St. John's wort, which is a nice bright yellow flower, five petals to it, and its whole signature is it brings light in, it dispels depression, it dispels nightmares, it dispels trauma, because it brings this life force into your body. It, it's really a, a flower of incarnation. And then you've got other plants that are five-petaled that send life force out, like belladonna and datura and mandrake and henbane, and they're all about kind of pushing you to the gates of the spirit world, pushing you to the gates of death. If you take too much of them, you can't come back from it. If you take just enough, you can have a journey to the spirit world and, and, and come back. And a lot of the old flying ointments and witches' brews were mixtures of things that would help anchor you and return you and things that would send you forth in, in really precise proportions. And so many of these things you can't measure chemically because, you know, different seasons and different times when you harvest it and different lengths of when they've been dried would have different amounts of chemicals. So it took someone who could really feel the energy, intimately knew the plant, could follow their intuition to mix it safely. Um, and know how much an individual could take. But often they were an ointment form in the sense that if you took them orally, they could kill you quite easily. But if you took them as ointment, that blood barrier of the skin would slow down the absorption and you could take it in a, a somewhat safer level, although that can still be dangerous as well. Now, you talked about the gates, and we didn't really talk about um, what the gates of witchcraft are. Um, because I love in the opening you really talk about what these gates are and and how they're experience uh, the spiritual experience of them. Um, and one of them, what was the word the, that you learned early on? It was the, the word the um, Narika. Yes. Yes, the Narika comes from the um, the Hochul. I'm not quite sure if I'm saying that right. The Hochul Indians of Mexico who have a very intense. Um, form of shamanism and healing. In fact, a, a herbalist named Elliot Cowan kind of brought back some of their system of, of what we call today plant spirit medicine and fused mm -hmm. it with um, five, pul five pulse point theory and elemental theory from the Chinese to create a system of healing. Um, but they don't actually believe that you need to take herbs to be healed by them. They believe you need to dream with the herb to be healed by it, kind of taking a shamanic journey with them. Um, and they also have this teaching that there's a, a gate within us, the Narika, and Lori Cabot kind of borrowed that term in her Power of the Witch, and she was one of my first teachers, so I really learned you know, from that as my foundation, and it always fascinated me, and it was this idea that there's a door within us that most people only enter in and out of through death and birth and through dreams, very unconsciously, but witches and sorcerers and, and magical people can enter through it at will. And as I practiced, I really felt like, you know, if there's an inner mechanism for it, it's at the back of the head where the spine and the skull meets. 
Um, and some people call that the, the alpha major chakra, and it deals with the atlas bone in the back of the head and the reptilian mm-hmm. part of the brain. And, you know, it's very unconscious for most people. And then what do magicians try to do is they try to get more conscious of the things that are unconscious. And in the ceremonial traditions, they talk about the moon gate, and, and that's the sphere of Yassaw that leads up the tree, and it's the most balanced way to climb the tree of life. And um, in the fairy faith traditions, they call it the flaming door and the fairy door, and sometimes it's in the land. But to experience the fairies, there's also a gate within you have to kind of open up to. So all of those things kind of gel together when I look at the gates of witchcraft and the, the ways of opening to power. To me, it just seems kind of a natural extension of that imagery to, to think about and, and experience. So really the gate is, is opening up to your own personal power at that point. I'd say personal power and personal awareness. Sometimes you can have power in terms of of life force and energy, but you're still Mm -hmm. really just aware of the physical world. Um, And what I really see the gates of witchcraft is opening to the different layers of the spiritual world, including the physical world, counting that as a spiritual world, but it's not the only one. And so all of these techniques help you shift your perception to something other. Sometimes you perceive things in a higher dimension or a lower dimension or something to the side. I think they're all really in a direction you can't point to. These are just words to help us try to understand the feeling of it. Right. But, you know, it's, you, it's really about opening. Right. Have you, um, in, in the different gates, have you ever looked at its correlation to maybe like Akashic Records? Or do you think that's more just, just that record keeping where what you're talking about is more, do you find a difference? Um, I think you have to open the gates to be able to read the Akashic Records. Um, my experience with kind of that term and that experience is, is more through my theosophical training and a little bit more what I wrote through Ascension Magic. Um, mm-hmm. Raven Gramasi actually came out with a really interesting theory on the Akashic Records in his latest book, and he calls it The Shadow. Um, and in my own meditations on this, I almost feel like the, the shadow and what we call the Akashic Records are, are two different sides, kind of light and dark, of the same kind of universal consciousness of records. Um, but he really relates it very much to the underworld and the idea that as plants and matter and, and things break down and decay, they go to feed the shadow, which retains the memory of everything that ever was. And that's Ooh, kind of that's a nice, nice parallel. Don't you like that? I love that imagery, and it really fits into yeah. my whole plant magic stuff. Um, so yeah. Yeah, if you're interested in more in that, Old World Witchery is a good good book to read. Um, and then, you know, it kind of parallels you know, in traditional Akashic record things, it's that idea that there's a, a universal storehouse or a planetary or galactic storehouse of information and sometimes we interface with it like it's a record and and but we have to go through and go within some people perceive the akashic records through the heart or through the third eye or you know sometimes i experience it through the back of the head at this point we're talking about um yep. so even to get to it you have to go through yourself to get to them i think that this everything that you're talking about the great case of witchcraft because this is why it intrigued me is about five years ago as i was doing readings i just found myself in in this place and I'm like okay where am I I'm in the Akashic Records okay thank you and now what do I do and and so what they've been teaching me through my work in there is a is is not to the degree that you've got going on here but what they've been teaching me is that all this information is ready we're ready for it mm-hmm. where we need it because we're growing so fast in our technology that we need to grow faster in our spirituality Absolutely. And I think so, so much of it is available. It's just the willingness to kind of reach out for it and say I'm hungry for it and 
mm-hmm. spirit kind of answers, and spirit answers need. I think you know. I think a lot of my particularly later writings, the Gates of Witchcraft and the Three Rays of Witchcraft, were you know my need to try to understand. Well, how does this work? And you know, information would come to me in meditation, the right book at the right time, the right conversation with the right person, and all together right. it just kind of congeals to answer my questions. Right, and I, I do love that you address power and that um, it's not something to be spiritual that you have to deny. Absolutely. Once you once you open that door for spirituality, power is something you have to embrace um, because you, you have to have both. Absolutely. I, I read something that really was interesting from uh, the Tantric Buddhist traditions, and it talked about how if everyone's really seeking the liberation of everyone else and, and that bodhisattva or sainthood, you know, their take on it was as as you evolve through it, you had to gain the cities, you had to gain the powers, you had to learn magical knowledge. Because if you attained enlightenment without that, you'd be a pretty useless bodhisattva because you couldn't get anything done. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, you know, you had to get that power to be of service to the greater good. And, you know, if you shot away from that power, even if you reached light, enlightenment for yourself, you'd be pretty useless in, in terms of service. And I think that plays out in our physical world, too. I mean, I think... My own teachings really try to balance the concept of power with love and wisdom. And I think you need all three of those in proportion because lacking any one of them can cause you to go awry. Um, it's, when, you, when you deny the power aspect, um, and we're going to go to break, Storm's going to take us to break in a second, but when you deny that power aspect within yourself thinking that it's dark or maybe you shouldn't be powerful, that's when you leave room for... Um, yourself to be used by energy that's not necessarily for your highest good. Absolutely. And it creates a I void. I mean, we're meant to be powerful people, and I think if we deny it, we've we've pushed that out of our space. So what's going to fill that? You know, sometimes it's need. Sometimes it's, you know, all sorts of uh, psychological and personal imbalances about, you know, trying to find our power outside of ourselves, thinking it's something different. I think if you just claim it and fill that space, it's, it's a lot better. Yep. Yep. I it, This is This is good stuff. I have to... I have to say you have some fans in the chat room that are that are talking you up too and talking about how much they've gotten out of the uh gates of witchcraft um since they've just been starting to read it and experiment with it and I, I definitely appreciate his approach to magic because it has more of a psychological base um to it than, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there. I have to cruise this over to a break. Um, the number is seven six zero five three nine three two three five. Again, that's seven six zero five three nine three two three five. You're listening to Keep It Magic. Cruise on over to our sponsor at CoventryCreations.com, and we'll be back in a flash. Don't touch that dial.
question. That's the first question. Yeah, the first question, Christopher, for you is, do you have the steampunk tarot? I actually do not, although I know the author of the steampunk tarot. I um, saw her last summer at INATS, but I don't actually have a copy of it myself. I'm not particularly steampunky. I think it's a it's a cute aesthetic, but it's not particularly mine. Okay. Question answered. <laughs> Qu- question number two from the chat room. Are you releasing a mix of Green Grow the Rushes O? Probably not. <laughs> I, I, I need the backstory on this. That would be pretty funny. There's actually, in the Gates of Witchcraft, I talk about a lot of different folk poetry and... Um, different songs and chants and, and just kind of like the, whether it be traditional verse kind of stuff from British folklore or if you think of like the old uh, Dorian Valente poetry that has kind of that sing-songy quality, how that can be used to enter trance under the chapter for music and song. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be uh, releasing that anytime soon. Actually, yeah, I'm releasing some meditation things and I'm having a chance to compose thanks to my garage band, um, which is such a nice little program, but I don't think I'll be doing remixes of Green Grows the Rushes O. Oh, <laughs> you never know, though. You gave me an idea. It's been a while since I've had an actual garage for a garage band, but I love my little Mac. Okay. <laughs> Do you consider MDMA and Viagra poison magic? Um, you know, I've never used either for magical purposes, so... Um, I guess technically in the sense that they're intoxicants, that they change body chemistry. Sure, why not? Um, I have a friend who uses poppers in his, his magic, but I've never done that either. Um, I How would you use poppers in magic? Yeah, to, to, for that kind of elation and high and trance. Oh. Yeah. Well, I've never done a popper, so I'm a bad yeah. gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tend to work with things I grow in my own garden, so you know I've never I've never used it up to that. But this little brown, although it's hilarious on planes, I carry a little bottle of essential oils for antibacterial, antimicrobial. But I'm sure certain people see me sniffing a little brown bottle and they're like, "What's going on there?" But it, I assure you, it's all essential oils. <laughs> you know, I can totally get into the antibacterial stuff. Where's my Lysol? Yeah, yeah, you know, you, when you travel so much, you need a little something. So I got my little, you know, emergency going on, airborne, and essential oils, you know. Well, Storm stays home enough for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I don't leave the house, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm serious when, about that. Yeah. When I was interviewed for uh, New Witch, before they turned to Witches and Pagans, a big little sidebar for it was, you travel so much, how do you stay healthy on planes? So I revealed all my little herbal secrets there. I love it. You'll have to reveal them to Jackie. Yeah. Yeah, we can have a little chat about things. She's constantly on the rainbow tour lately. So it's... uh... (laughs) What is excellent and actually plays into our poisons is there's a homeopathic remedy that's based on monkshood. Um, You'll find it under the name Aconitum napellus and just Mm -hmm. get it in the 30C potency of it. You can get it at most health food stores. But take three pellets before you get on a plane. Take three pellets when you get off a plane. And very good. It it, shot, it knocks out anything that you've quickly exposed to, so you can take it as a preventative measure. But that's my homeopath put me on that for travel, and, and it's been amazing. So if I'm at a festival or a con, I'll take three pellets every morning, and I'll take it before and after when I get on the planes. That is brilliant because um, I had been, I had taken the aconite. Um, Echinacea. No, not the the A C I O N. IT Econitum. Um, yep. I had a homeopath that I was working with had me take that because I was under a lot of spiritual attack. 
Yeah, it's a very protective herb. It's um, the plant it's based on is wolfsbane or monkshood, depending on on what you call the folk name of it. It's one of the herbs that I will not experiment with in terms of, of taking physically or topically because it's really deadly. Um, that and hemlock are probably you know two that I would I would not play around with because I just don't feel confident in that. Um, but mm-hmm. homeopathically, they're both really quite wonderful. And, and homeopathic monkshood is, is the Aconitum napellus, and it's really good for protection, spiritual attack. It's very fiery. Um, I use it in a homeopathic form in rituals a lot, and it's quite powerful. Um, there's another one that worked for me at the same time, which is the lachesis. Oh, that's I'm made saying, out of a snake, right. I think, isn't it? Yep. I think lachesis yep. is made out of a snake, and that's pretty powerful, yep. too. Yeah, because it works similar. So um, when you're traveling, and this is just, it's it's just kind of a, it's just kind of fact of life. When you're doing a lot of traveling, and then you're going from spiritual place or teaching and readings to next to next, um, you um, people like to really attach themselves to you because they really want yes. whatever piece you feel that you're coming in with. They want a piece of it. Right, <laughs> and sometimes people can't distinguish between the work you're doing and the energy you're bringing through and you as a person, and they right. latch on to you personally, you know, so it can be oh tough. God. <laughs> <laughs> Although we're not helping Storm with his desire to maybe someday get out of his house. So. Actually, oh, no. <laughs> actually, you know, the interesting thing is is that he may be, because he may be able to make me some kind of cocktail so I don't deal with these, uh, you know, creaky germs flying all over the place. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we can well, talk. I'll, I'll make you up a little special something after uh, after <laughs> Absolutely. Well, every good witch loves to make a potion. Absolutely. And you That's have... how I got into this. Honestly, I like to play with little bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it be bartending, chemistry, you know, witchcraft, right. whatever it is, I, I like playing with little bottles. One of these, one of these days, I'll, I'll, uh, well, you're in Michigan, and I'll bring you over to the factory, and you can see my laboratory. I um, would love that. That would be great. Yeah, so because that's what I do is sometimes I'll just stand in the middle of my herbs and go, who wants to come and play? Yep. <laughs> and, and they and tell they, you. They do. They really do. Yeah. And um, I'm su- I'm excited. To, I have the plant familiars on order for my store, and um, I want to I dig through that because that's what I talk about um, a lot when I'm teaching my classes is you just wake them up, invite yeah, them back absolutely. in. It's all good. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, they're, they're allies. What, they will chat with you a lot. Absolutely. Oh, they do. And don't worry about what it says in a book. Listen to them because they're going to tell you what they're going to do for you. Right. And a good herbalist who has like a relationship with the spirit of the plant, they can get a plant that does not have anything, you know, listed in any textbook to do crazy stuff. I knew one woman who chickweed was her ally, and she could make chickweed do anything. And you know, we think of chickweed as not this particularly chemically potent plant. It's got some properties to it, but I mean. Whatever ailed you, she could give you chickweed and it would cure you. It's quite great. Um, Borage was one of my big ones because I grew one plant in my yard. The one year I gardened, um, because there's bugs out there, I didn't go back. (laughs) But but the one year I gardened, um, Borage took over my world. And so I decided anytime I needed strength or something commanding, compelling, whatever, I just put the Borage in there. So. Absolutely. Now, yeah. do you have a favorite potion in the poisons area or something that's your go-to or or that you feel is a good place to start? Um, a good place to start? I think a, a great kind of um, intoxicant on the path of poison that's 
is, uh, I guess, in, even I, I was giving the speech someplace else, and someone complained about how controversial it was. So I'm thinking my least controversial thing can still be controversial for people. Um, but it's an incense of just a, a three-part mix of mugwort, wormwood, which I guess is the controversial part because people think they're going to kill themselves in wormwood, which I don't haven't seen happen, um, and myrrh. Only if you make the you, green fairy out of it. Yeah, and even that, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the chemical studies of it, I think the amount of flujone you have to take, which is the active ingredient from wormwood that people are afraid of, I mean, it's pretty hefty. I mean, I can have really good experiences with, with absinthe, with the green fairy, but um, I think burning it or taking a little bit of a tincture in a magical sense, it's not it's not particularly dangerous unless you're allergic. And that's the big caveat with a lot of these plants. If you have a specific allergic reaction particular to you, then, yeah, they're going to be very dangerous for you. But I think in, in general... Mm-hmm burning mugwort, wormwood, and um, myrrh together is a real great kind of open the gates, see the spirits, um, protective also as well. So it's not dangerous on a spiritual level, you know. I think it's just a a really good way to to see how plant magic can affect you magically and chemically, you know. So just kind of burn that on some charcoal and let it fill the room. Make sure your smoke detectors are off and uh, and see where it goes. (laughs) We were talking the other night. We think smoke detectors need a little setting for which. You know, yeah. on, off, and which, you know. Right. This level because of smoke does not mean my house is burning down. It just means I'm having a ritual. Every good witch has ended up with the um, fire department at their house because they're cleansing something. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we have a little office space for the Temple of Witchcraft, and one of our priestesses has had the, the fire department down three times because the fire, the fire alarm is wired into the building, and we're renting it, so yeah. we don't have control over it. And, and she's like, I bet you don't see this every day. They're like, oh, we're getting used to it now. <laughs> You have um, um, the talk about the difference between an essence and an essential oil. Oh, that's a great question because that causes a lot of confusion for people. An essential oil is usually distilled from plant matter, and it's a volatile chemical. Even though we call it uh, an oil, it's it's technically not true, but it's the best way you can describe it. And it's usually mixed in a base oil. So if it has a very strong scent, you'd mix them for the candles that you make. You'd mix them for, mm-hmm. um, you know, any type of oil. A lot of the Scott Cunningham formulary that people love, you know, have a little base oil like almond oil, or even if you, you don't worry about it pre- having to preserve it, you can use olive oil. People who really want it to last a long time will use jojoba oil, which is technically a liquid wax, but mm-hmm. it's a volatile chemical. So some of them will burn on your skin. Um, they'll have a very strong scent to it. They're mixed in perfumers' alcohol to make perfumes before we started having more synthetic fragrances. Um, But they're very chemically volatile. Flower essences, on the other hand, are an outgrowth of homeopathy, and homeopathy are very dilute substances. Flower essences are where you soak a flower in water under the sun, and it's very ritualistic, even though people want to make it seem much more technical. And the idea is that you're imprinting the essence, the spiritual vibration, the virtue, I'd even say the intelligence of the plant, onto the water. And there's a method to preserve it, usually with alcohol or glycerin or vinegar. And then you dilute that base, what they call the mother essence, several times. And it affects you not in a chemical way, but it purely works on an emotional, mental, and spiritual level. And the idea is that it, it heals you or influences you before you have a physical ailment. So they were popularized by a gentleman named, it looks like Dr. Bach, and that's how I always say it, but I'm told by people in England that are part of the Institute, it's Dr. Botch, um, which or it looks like Dr. It, it's, it looks like it should be Dr. Bach, but it's B-A-C-H, but people pronounce it as Botch. 
um, in England. And so he created 36 of them. And he was much more esoteric than people give him credit for. He aligned them to the zodiac signs and how to mm-hmm. you know, make up a do- dosage bottle based on your zodiac chart and, and all that kind of fun stuff. But if you were to send it to a lab, a flower essence would have very little chemical, if any, where if you sent a, an essential oil to a lab, they'd be able to distill it into many different parts. Right. And it just says, you know, essential oils are actually poisons. Right, technically. Um, I mean, they're all they're, they're, they're the most essential part of the, the chemical of the plant, but they're concentrated chemicals, just like other chemicals mm-hmm. can be poisons. And um, I think some people think, oh, it's essential oil, I can use it for whatever, and which is right. not necessarily true. You have well, to people treat make it the mistake like, of, oh, it's natural, so that must mean it's safe. You know, arsenic is natural, too, but it doesn't mean it's safe. <laughs> <laughs> right, so don't drink it. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, right. And um, there's there's one thing I want you to advise us on, which is you have a whole chapter on meditation, and I can't tell you probably like seven out of ten people that I talk to say I don't meditate. I can't meditate. I can't meditate. <laughs> That's very true, and I, I probably hear the same amount. Yeah. Yep. And so, with your chapter on meditation is one of the um, paths. Right. Is there is there one piece of advice that you could give people that say, I can't meditate? I think the first thing is is trying to engage them in what their definition of meditation is. Because many mm-hmm. people have this idea that meditation is this kind of perfect, and it's kind of a flawed view of, of Eastern thought, that they think meditation is going to be this absolute long extended period of time with absolutely no thoughts, that they'll be completely peaceful, not thinking of anything, nothing will be on their mind, and they will sit there and be you know, completely unaware of their body and, and just in this zone of perfect bliss. And if right. that's what you think meditation is, you're sorely mistaken. You know? So being able to get to people's definition of it, you know, my best definition for meditation is it's to contemplate, to meditate upon something, is to contemplate it. Can you focus your thoughts? Focused thoughts don't mean that you're not going to have any thoughts. Focused thoughts don't mean that occasionally it'll stray but can you focus your concentration on something? And through that, you relax the body and open that gate to a different level of consciousness. But you might be focused on a mantra. You might be focused on the candle flame. You might be used, a lot of my teachings focus on a countdown technique and, and suggest inner world imagery, like the, an image of the inner temple, the idea of going to your inner sacred space, and that becomes your focus. Those all To meditate simply means to lower your brain waves, to alter your consciousness from a waking state to a lower state. You can, you know, get into a meditative state by listening to drumming or music. If you close your eyes for five minutes and, you know, zone out, that's a type of meditation. So it's just redefining what people think of as meditation and then suggesting that they find a technique that speaks to them and practice it. You know, it's like martial arts or, or going to the gym or anything we expect to have a result from. You have to do it regularly to have a result. If you just do it once and think, oh, why am I not perfect at this? It's because you didn't practice it. You know, that kind of reminds me when I uh, lived in Los Angeles uh, years ago and that this question, you know, of course it's a question that's asked by 80% of people, you know, that they can't meditate. And this teacher who was, uh, that I had, and I forget her name at this point, um, but uh, she uh, was always uh, very controversial. And basically what she would say, when people would say, I can't meditate, she would say, can you masturbate? Because if you can masturbate, you can meditate. (laughs) I love that, and I'm going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and everybody's mouths would just drop to the table when she would say this. Because uh, she says any time that you're focusing on something with intensity, you're in a meditative state. Yeah. So if you can masturbate, you can meditate. 
Well, the, right. the path on, on sex in Gates of Witchcraft actually talks about how to, you know, launch a solo sex magic spell through masturbation. So, you know, well, there you go. It's definitely a great focus. And that's a whole another subject and <laughs> that we could probably spend hours on. But what I tell people when they say I can't minutes at the most, Jackie. <laughs> I could all by myself I could spend yeah. hours on it. Oh my god. <laughs> and have a good time so, doing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because Storm would be just sitting there going, What is she saying? <laughs> but when people ask me about meditation and and I don't claim to be an expert by far, but meditation is just quieting your mind, meaning that um, I like to do something, like I'll knit or um, wash dishes or take a walk. So there's, you're you're getting the repetitive part of your brain active. That right. that left moving meditation, absolutely. Yep, that left part. So you can unwind the other stuff. I I see meditation just like letting it unwind, and so the thoughts are going to come and let them go. Absolutely. The, 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 in, our, in our waking day, in our waking day, we'll like, oh, I got to do the dishes. 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 So when you're meditating, say, Yep, I do have to do those dishes. Next. <laughs> yeah, and Next. it's observing those thoughts that rise and fall, and and the mystery of it is really, you know, if you're observing your thoughts, then you're not your thoughts. So who's having the thoughts? You know, and that starts to put you in touch with the deeper powers of your soul and your consciousness. They're beyond thought. Or smoke some Detora. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although, oh, Chris. You know, the, the caveat I'll give you is don't recreationally do Detora because people who do it a lot just for fun have really bad kind of zombie trips. So really you have to approach her with respect and, you know, with respect she can take you wherever you want to go. And that is, and that is the perfect caveat to that. Yeah. Perfect. Christopher, it has been a blast having you on the show and, and – uh, hope to have you on again. I would love to. I've really had a great time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. And don't forget, you can go and find all of Christopher's books in your local bookstores, um, your local pagan stores, and then, you know, bug them. If they don't have it, bug them to get the books in because that's how other people find out about this great information is because you bug those people to bring it in. And you can go to ChristopherPenzik.com. And how do you spell it, Storm? A P N. He isn't Peter, he isn't Edward, it isn't Nancy. C is a Charles, C is in Zebra, A is an Apple, K is in Kevin dot com. In my perfect radio voice. I love that. That was cracking me up. And you can find um the Temple of Witchcraft School at templeofwitchcraft.org. And um this was great. I I, I had to hold back on, on other questions because we were running out of time. I'm I'm just so excited to have had you on. This is great. Well, thank you so much. It was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Cool. And we will um, talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, hopefully I will see you at Convocation next year. <laughs> yep. You always see Jackie at Convocation. She lives there. so Exactly. So It'll be exciting if you actually see me at Convocation in a bubble. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. I'll get you a little potion that will cast a bubble around you. That would be nice. Oh, I was thinking he was just going to be the man in the bubble. <laughs> Jackie was keeping it simple, giving the boy in the bubble. The <laughs> giant hamster wheel. <laughs> that could be entertaining. <laughs> Thanks a lot, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. And, Jackie, we have a lot of great shows that are going to be coming up. Um, next week we have uh, – 
Starcastus, Mama Star, oh. will be on with us to talk about Bible magic. Um, and, and all of the pagans who are listening right now, don't freak out about Bible magic. My God, this book has been around for a long time. Use it. Yes, use it. We'll be teaching you how, both from a hoodoo perspective and a Kabbalistic perspective um, next week. So we'll be teaching Bible magic. Just imagine how much you can dazzle your Christian friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just think of that, you know, as as a a, a drinking game or something, you know. (laughs) So, So we have Star, who is an amazing conjure woman. Um, who comes back, uh, comes through it um, um, through her family and and just has taught me a lot. Not that I don't know everything, but I just, I'm adoring her. And then um, the next week on uh, April 10th, we have Christian Day. To talk about necromancy. I know, doesn't it sound dirty? Well, I think it's actually pronounced necromancy, but we'll have to find out. Okay. That'll be pretty interesting. Then I think we're doing Beltane and sex and. Oh, now we'll talk about sex magic then. So yeah. we'll we'll flip the open the gates of witchcraft back open and bring out um, some of that information. I am not talking about the masturbation exercise. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to. At least with the, without you know those little clean wipes that you get at the KFC with your chicken skin. <laughs> oh, that sounds dirty. <laughs> Of course, go to www.coventrycreations.com. Again, that's www.coventrycreations.com. To reach me off the air, go to psychicfriendsnow.com. Our show website, of course, is keepitmagic.com. Follow us on Facebook, Keeping It Magic. Just type that into the little search bar. To reach Christopher Penzak, of course, go to Christopher Penzak, P-E-N, C as in Charles, Z as in Zebra, A as in Apple, K as in Kevin, Com. And Jackie, what do they need to do? They need to keep it magic. Yeah. Yeah. When I walk on by, girls be looking like Danny Fly. I pimp to the beat, walking down the street in my new the freak, yeah. This is how I roll, animal print pants out of control. It's Red Bull with the big ass bra, and like Bruce Lee, bro, I got the clout, yeah. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Uh-huh. I work out. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Uh-huh. I work out when I walk in the spot. This is what I see. Everybody. I'm staring at me, I got passion in my pants And I ain't afraid to show it, show it, show it, show it I'm sexy and I know it I'm sexy and I know it I'm sexy and I know it Trying to tan my cheeks. Uh, this is how I roll. Come on, ladies, it's time to go. We headed to the bar, baby. Don't be nervous. No shoes, no shirt, and I still get service. Watch. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at
Oh, 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 oh.